Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for November 29th of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. Uh, this week, we will be talking a lot about Sidney Crosby, who was cross-checked viciously in the back of the neck by Brandon Dubinsky, and also at the center of some TMZ-like rumors that he and Mario are not getting along anymore. So that, that'll take up a good chunk of time. We'll also uh, talk about some of the other Penguins and perhaps some other NHL stuff. But we're going to start with the, the more recent Sidney Crosby news. Uh, yeah, he took a really dirty cross-check to the back of the neck. And then, when he was on the ground, took yet another one. And yeah, I don't, I don't get that at all. In regards to the response of Dubinsky. You know, you whack someone on the back of the head with your eyes up and then he's on the ground and then you get there and go, all right, I've hit you high, I'll still hit you while you're on the ground, but I'm not a dirty player. Well, I don't take too much stock in what, what these guys, I'm not that kind of player. You know, it's a very generic answer. It's like baseball steroid guys. Uh, I didn't know what I was taking. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We're taken. I don't expect <laughs> the comments to be any different. You just don't have to listen to them and take them at their word. So No. I know, very true. So the NHL suspended Dubinsky one game and that's just not good enough because he broke his stick over his neck. Yeah, but the question I'll ask with this was, did he break it on the first or the second one? Does it really matter? No, it doesn't, but it's a question that a lot of people will get there and say. I mean, Crosby's been whacked over the head before in a situation like this. We've had the the Mark Stahl stuff back in the playoffs a couple of years ago that everyone said that's just good hard hockey. I don't understand what's different between then and now in regards to the hit. It's either a suspendable hit back then or it's not a suspendable hit now. So they can't even hold to their own precedent. You know, it's not like it's not like what Stahl did was to a scrub and they just ignored it because it's a scrub. It was the exact same player in basically the exact same spot in the ice um, with the, the same result. The guy getting whacked in the head when the puck's nowhere near him. It's not, it wasn't even like trying to – that's not even trying to fight for position. I think that's the thing that annoys me about it as well. I think the thing that was ridiculous in in the Department of Player Safety was the not overly violent or forceful <laughs> yeah, description of what they used. I mean, how bad does it have to get? We t- we've talked so much on this topic on this podcast. I, I don't know what else there really is to say you have. And, you know, I wrote about it today. I thought that obviously there should have been way more games suspended because how can you justify that as being a part of the sport in 2015? It's how, I have to admit. How can it's you say that's those... something that anybody wants in the game? And if it's something nobody wants in the game, why isn't it a severe punishment? But that's that's the thing, though. You, you said that's not what we want to see in the game in 2015, and I totally agree with you. But if you have a look at all of the analysts that 
do the the special comments or the intermission periods, all those sorts of things, all the ex-players that are in that. A lot of them suck at their job. No, have a look at what they all were like when they were on the ice, though. They were the guys that were doing these things anyway, so of course they're going to think it's okay. That's it's it's one of those things where you've actually got there and you've said before on this podcast that your thought processes on concussions and how the game should be played has changed from when you played. You've consciously made an effort to make sure that you teach your players that you coach to go hell for leather, but at least do it in a safe manner that you're not going to put somebody's head in jeopardy if you can avoid it, right? These people like Matthew Barnaby, uh, Jeremy Roenick, um, Ken Danico, just trying to think who else is there that that you get there and really wonder why they should be having an Mike opinion. Mike Milbury. Mike um, uh Nick Kiprios. If you have a look at all of those PJ players Stark. that I've mentioned, they were all third-line players or fourth-line scrubs going up and down the bottom six of the lineup, right, just fighting to stay in. So they would do whatever it took to slow down the really good players. And if you couldn't do it fairly – Bend the rules until until you get called for a penalty. So you've got all of those people there on TV, on radio, basically saying that this should happen because it's always happened. There should be no need to change the game. Otherwise, we'll lose X, Y, and Z out of the game. And it's like, it's not entertaining hockey to watch. Like, I'm happy to watch a fight. I'm not happy to see a guy get his, his head ripped off by a stick. And it happened again tonight. Oh, do you just did it to Kopitar. So yeah. that one-game suspension has really been shown as a deterrent to have that stop playing. I'm actually kind of glad that it happened because it shows you how ridiculous the suspension on Dubinsky was because they're going to have to suspend Oduya for at least a game on that. And if they suspend him for more than that, then the Dallas Stars have every right to get there and say, what the hell are you doing? You just suspended Dubinsky for one. So they've just screwed themselves right up. Yeah, you sent me that tweet. I hadn't I hadn't seen um, that play, and you know the player was down on the ground, and he came down forceful at the on the back. Of, uh, I don't know who he hit. I think it was Kopitar. Well, I could be wrong with that, but oh well, gee, another star. Go figure. Yeah. So but I have a like question. Last year, Bufflin did the same thing last year, and at least got four games for that. So I don't, I don't know where the, the line... I don't know what the precedent is. I mean, you even said it at the start where they said it wasn't violent or forceful enough for it to be more than a one-game suspension. I don't know where that line is. Well, let me ask this question. Do LeBron James, Lionel Messi, Mike Trout, Tom Brady, do those guys deal with this nonsense in their sports? Nope. Do they really have to deal with anything close to this? Nope. At all. Tom Brady got his knee rolled up, and they changed the rule on how you can tackle quarterbacks. Um, what Sid deals with on a nightly basis would be like if Mike Trout got – if the pitchers threw at his head every other at bat, just because of how good he is. Yep. It's just the way the league's. It's the way the league has gone all the way through it. My theory on it now is that they want the games to be close, so they try and drag the teams that have got high skill down 
by not allowing them to skate. And obviously it means the bad teams can make the gap closer so that more teams are relevant for longer in the year. And therefore, the theory being that they make sure all the markets are interested for the longest period of time. But that's not going to generate you new fans. It just it doesn't work that way. You need a game that people will look on the TV when they're at a bar or something and go, holy crap, what was that? I wouldn't mind seeing more of that. And you don't get to see much. There's like four or five teams that can do that consistently game in, game out at the moment. Dallas is one of them. Um, and that's the easiest one I can think of off the top of my head. Pittsburgh should be one of them. Oh, yeah, but that's a different problem there <laughs> in all of that. Tampa but, should be. Chicago. Yeah, they're, they're actually interesting. Chicago. So it, it's pretty obvious that things aren't going to change, are they? Like they come out and they they suspend a scrub for half a year and say, look, we're taking control of the situation here, and they've done nothing since to, to make players change what they do on the ice. Because nothing's changed, guys, has it? You go out there, you have a look. Nothing's changed. Yeah, and then the other part of it is I'm just so sick and tired of people thinking that Pittsburgh taking liberties after the fact on Dubinsky does anything at all either. It just, okay, no, it doesn't. circle of violence. So the next game you guys play, it gets ramped up more. Yeah. Um, really is a league issue. They're the they are the only true deterrent. All this other stuff is just mumbo jumbo fantasy nonsense. Yep. Ah, uh, it's just it's just frustrating to watch when you you see. I suppose for me that the, the starkest contrast is what Columbus are now because of their change of coach, and you just get there and go. You know, the media love Tortorella because he's a fantastic quote, but he does nothing to improve the game of hockey at all. Absolutely nothing. There is nothing nice to watch about what he produces out on the ice with his team. He gets results, so I understand why he gets hired and still has a job, but it doesn't make it enjoyable to watch. Yeah, he's he's a quote. That's, that's about it, really. <laughs> <laughs> so we started with, with Sid getting hit in the head what's this other garbage that Matthew Barnaby's trying to spout around everywhere well I'm pretty sure he's getting fed his information by one of the shittiest reporter columnists in Pittsburgh so I'll leave it at that um, yeah rift between Sid and Mario Mario, who doesn't speak often, came out right away, said, nope, that's pretty dumb. Sid said he was embarrassed even addressing it. But what are you going to expect from those two guys? They're not going to come and say, yeah, yeah, we've got issues. So either way, it was always going to head in this direction, wasn't it? Yeah, but terming it as a rift is pretty irresponsible. True, that's true. It, it it's it's as if they're like there's a huge wedge between them and they're, and they're at odds with one another when you're talking about it's 10 years now since it's been in the league 
And yes. him and Mario, you know, at the beginning they were teammates, but Mario's been the owner the whole time. Sid's lived there for a while. Uh, to think that they're never going to have a disagreement on, on certain things is just asinine. And that doesn't mean that's unhealthy and there's a rift. Sid's probably really frustrated. A lot of his prime's been thrown down the shitter because um, stuff out of his control, really. Uh, the the bulk of his prime years were 100, 100 games of his absolute prime down the drain because uh, David Stuckel. And then you have the poor construction of the team and you have, you know, his good friend crapping the bed in net, you know, through all of that as well. So it would be it would be very frustrating. I can understand why he would be upset. And the injuries. Not yeah. to him, but like Pittsburgh yeah. is the worst luck, if that's what you want to call it, with the with the injuries of any team since they've won the cup. Like they're on their own planet. They're, they're uh, little, bubble they're charts all, they're, that you can they're their own little bubble out there. They're all the way out there. They're like Pluto. Basically, there's a chart that shows the teams that have made the Cup final, won the Stanley Cup. It's a bubble chart. It's got the quality of uh, of the players they're missing, as well as the number of man games lost. Lower left's where you want to be. That's where L.A., Chicago, New York Rangers, uh, Boston, I think, is there, right? I think so, yeah. And then there's Pittsburgh in the upper right corner, like totally by themselves. So that's out of Sid's control too, and it's really, really understandable why he would be frustrated at 28 years old, off to a poor start by his standards. Um, I'd almost kind of be a little worried if he wasn't upset. Yeah, that's actually not a bad way to look at it. With with that said, though, I, I think one of the things that's baffling for me and amongst all of this is, I suppose, the impression that he doesn't care out there on the ice at the moment. It's sort of how it looks, his body language and all that sort of stuff. He looks like he's had enough and he's prepared to not bother trying to hide it anymore, I suppose would be a way to word it. There's certainly probably a little bit of that. But I also think that there's a little bit of we have taken for granted so much how consistently awesome he was every single night. Yeah, yeah. For, for close to 10 years, and that's not the norm. You see teams and writers and everywhere around the league. Name a player that hasn't caught shit for that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's true. At some point in time. Who has never really caught anything for that? That he's made it to 28 years old, and this is like the first time it's happened. I mean, I don't think people realize how insane his consistency really was. And I suppose, it's probably yeah. not, and it's probably never going to be there again. And that doesn't mean he's not still one of the best players going, but it's never going to be what it was. Some people are going to have to wrap their heads around it and adjust expectations. Yeah, no, I've, I can, I can, yeah, agree with all of that assessment. There's no, you're going to have a decline. I think Pittsburgh fans kind of forget that, that even in Mario's later years, he wasn't producing the way he, he used to. He used to. 
on his own yeah, standard. No, he's no, still no, producing, it, but yeah. Yes, no, but that's the thing. It's like Sid is still producing. It's just not at the standard we're used to seeing from Sid. Like his numbers aren't atrocious, and people are acting as though he's suddenly turned into a fourth line player. He's still getting points. He's just not racking them up at his career average. And I can get why that's a concern for Pittsburgh because the team is built around him producing, but it had to drop off at some stage. His numbers won't be terrible. I still think he'll be a point-per-game player by the end of the year. Well, he has points in five straight games now. Yeah. So six points in five games, and I would argue he's doing it with just terrible line mates. Okay, more, so more, more so, Dupuis. So you lob into that part of the whole Crosby debate, and you go, they've actually tried to do the right thing by him and try to get parts to play with him. Him and Kessel just didn't work. Full stop. Well, him and him and Hornquist were all right at the start of last year, but then it all sort of got a little bit mishmashed again with injuries. So. What can you do in this situation? Help me out here. They're going to have to get creative with what they have, but let's talk about status quo for just a minute. Crosby yeah. and Dupuis, or Dupuis is Crosby's most common line mate this year. They have 44% possession together. That's atrocious. That's, well, you can't do that. That's like Tanner Glass level stuff. Pascal so Dupuis can't do it anymore. And he used to be able to. He was a nice complimentary piece on Crosby's line. You can't argue with the points per 60 at even strength he used to put up. I think he was in the top 15 in the whole entire NHL for a three-year stretch, which you can say, oh, well, that's because of Sid. And, yes, absolutely, there's no arguing that. But top 15 is top 15. It's not like he was drowning in the role. No, he was at least being competent in the role. You're exactly right. Top 15 is really competent. Yeah, I know. I know. If you go for minimum expectation of being competent in the role, he was at least that and obviously beyond it. But he's gone below that line now, obviously. Um, but since coming back from from the blood clot, and, and of course the, the big... The knee. ACL, right? Yeah. He's... He's 35 and at an age where most aren't able to keep up anymore. And when you throw all that into it, he needs to stop playing on that line now. Um, let's talk about the right wing. Patrick Hornquist. He's not having a good year. And he's no, gotten the opportunity to play with both of them. What changed with Hornquist from this to last year, because I thought he was a good fit for either of those two players. It doesn't seem like that's the case now. He's a good fit as a complementary piece when he's got two other guys that can skate with the puck and handle the puck. He... Have you ever seen him with the puck on a stick longer than five seconds? Not intentionally. (laughs) He's always shipping it, moving it for another line mate to go get it. And with Dupuis being such an anchor on the line, it's got to be Sid doing everything. Every chip and chase has to be Sid tracking it down this year. Uh, That's really 
um, it's really trying on a player, especially now that he's got to quote unquote play the 200 feet, which he was anyway. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, that's another thing. But like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, um, so the last few games, you'll notice that Sid's done some really nice things down low in the corner when his line finally actually gets possession of the puck. Yeah, he's doing those uh, tornado spinoramas in the corner. Remember, like when he he owned Jason Spezza like five years ago. Yeah, <laughs> but he's doing that kind of stuff. But there's no puck support. Patrick Hornquist is just hanging out in front of the net. I mean, hey guy, maybe you know, be there for a cycle once in a blue moon. Is that the thing? Is though is this is the thing? He would come over and provide puck support last year. It was why he worked. He actually got across and did the cycle quite well. So, what's changed in regards to the 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 line leaving Sid out there on an island on his own, out in those boards. I don't, I don't get, I don't understand that part of it. I don't understand why they made that change systematically. I didn't want to use that word, but it came out anyway. I don't get, I don't get that change. Like why would two players that played with Crosby last year and played well when they were out there together, have that change in, in, in process? I just, I don't get it. Why, why the left wingers no good? Well, why they're not coming over? Well, why Vorquist isn't coming over and helping support? It's, that's the stuff that sort of got me a little baffled. He maybe never did. Well, he hit it very well last year then because it really felt like Crosby could well, cycle the puck last year because he had people to help him do it. Well, think about last year. Who was playing really great left wing at the first 30% of last year? Who was on that line? It was either Dupuis He's, or Perron. No, no, neither. It's a guy that everybody loves to hate now. Oh, Cooney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was really good the first quarter to 30% of last year. He, for reasons unknown, has just... <laughs> He's not that anymore, that's for sure. <laughs> so, just the um, way he's for reasons unknown, that was brilliant. <laughs> he can still skate. That's the thing that uh, I just don't understand. His hands are terrible now. I, 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 don't, I don't know what happened there. Anyways. Um, it has hurt. So David Perron then comes in January, right? Yep. So you're talking about the 50% mark? Was, yeah, David Perron, was David Perron really good when he first got there? Yeah, he was until he, uh, until he busted his uh, ribcage. So you're talking about a real large chunk of the year where left-wing play on the Crosby line you had a guy that could skate with the puck, protect the puck, and cycle and make some poised passes and passes to areas that Sid could skate into, while Hornquist could play that nice third-wheel third role. Which is just getting away, in theory, if you want to dumb it down. But yeah, so I get, I get your point now. So now Dupuis stinks this year. Um, who else have they tried there? Perron wasn't playing well to start the year. He's 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 done a lot better the last few weeks, I think. He's still not getting well, what I would call tangible rewards for his good work, but you can definitely see that the play's going in the right direction when he's on the ice. Who's that? Perron. Perron. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, well, he's it's with, he's, he is with Malkin. <laughs> well, he's a... Well, but he's, he's not own. getting in Malkin's way. Yeah. Actually, can I can I ask you this? Malkin and Kessel seem to go offside an awful lot. At some point, they're going to have to get their timing right with that, aren't they? Well, it's a classic thing that a lot of coaches always tell their players. I've got said to me, I've said it to my players, you really have to, when you're getting to that blue line and you've got at least one other player that's attacking the blue line with speed with you, if you pull up just a little bit and make that extra little deep move, you're going to put people off sides. It's so, happening a lot. Either of those two players have got the puck. Either Kessel's going in early or Malkin's going in early, depending on whoever's got the puck. It's just something I've noticed a lot of. It's like they haven't worked out each other's final deke to pull well, up. To what get you into can do stuff. is do a little better job of just getting the puck literally a sliver inside the blue line and then maybe yeah. do your deke, which both those guys are more than capable of doing. Um but you're right, that that has happened quite a bit this year, uh, more than it should. You know, I understand sometimes when these guys are trying to make plays that stuff happens, but it seems like an overwhelming amount. It just it feels like that with it feels like that with those two on the ice, that's all. And it's frustrating because they both it happens when they finally have speed through the neutral zone. Yeah. And then they're, <laughs> they're the guys that you want with the puck and it's like, ah jeez. It's frustrating for us to watch. You can actually they're starting to bang their sticks on the ice now when it happens. Like they are they know that it's happening. It's not like they're not trying to stop it. You can tell it's starting to drive them nuts as well. But <clears throat> does pretty much that explanation of the, the, the Crosby current Crosby line make any sense at all? It does now. It's one of those things where you watch it and if you just followed the Penguins through the media, like the national coverage media, so NBC and, 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 um, and Sportsnet and all those sorts of stuff, so, you know, from the US and, and from Canada, you would assume that Crosby is just impossible to play with because all you hear is, oh, Kessel got brought to Pittsburgh to play with Sid, didn't play well with Sid, he's now playing with Malcolm and Malcolm's on fire, but Sid's still struggling. It's like... There are, it's trying to work out whether Sid's just being asked to do too much on his own and obviously, like you said, he's 28, he's aged obviously and he can't do it all on his own all the time now and how are the Penguins going about trying to fix that problem and if you didn't follow the Penguins closely, you'd swear that Sid is just a sucky, whiny little guy. Yeah, pretty much. Um what can they do? I think they really got to get creative with the lines. They can't, they can't. I would leave this. There's an option here. I think that they can leave the second line together. I would suggest that's the case, but Perron was one of my solutions and he's on that second line. Um, yeah, but you can leave him there and I'll tell you. Yeah. Why. I believe that you have multiple third-line centers on this team now? You do indeed. I would take the third-line center that has shown that he can skate with the puck. He's pretty nifty with some of the moves. He may not be the fastest, but he's a great passer in tight spaces. 
can cycle the puck and used to play on a line with Gutsleff and Perry at least for a little bit of time. I would try Nick Benino on the first line left wing and leave Hornquist there for now and bump Eric Fair up, put Matt Cullen as the fourth line center. So you have uh, second line's the same. Benino, Crosby, Hornquist, Kunitz, Fair, Bennett, Plotnikov, um, Colin, Colin Sprong. Dupuy can find himself in the press box for now. He's not playing good enough. I like all of that, to be honest. Look, if I if you have a look at those, Pittsburgh have currently got three bottom pairing up. Uh, bottom six sentiment, really, because they've got Cullen, they've got Bedino, and they've got Eric Fair. Cullen, when he wasn't a grandpa, was actually pretty good offensively. He he mentally would be able to, to keep up, I think, with Sid. With all those little things that you want um, Benino to be able to do, I, I think Cullen would also be able to do that. I... I one of the things that we always complained about as Penguins fans about Bilesman was that he didn't change anything. Everything was exactly the same. But that repetition meant that players knew where everyone was going to be all the time. So you could put passes to spots you knew players were going to be, and it became very, very automatic. Um, what I've liked about this year is that the coaching staff have put things in place for five or six games. If it's not worked, they have gone and changed it. But they've at least given the players a chance to try and work it out. The only exception to that I would have would be the Bo Bennett experiment, which felt like it was an experiment for half a period, and then that was it. He was, for want of a way to put it, banished back to the third line. And it just it feels weird how they will experiment with certain things, but other things they're either not game enough to experiment with it or they're happy with it, which for me would just be baffling. I was disappointed Bo didn't get an extended look with Sid. I mean, yeah. if you're just gonna if you're just gonna keep playing Tapui there, I mean, but yeah. I'll say this: um, tonight against Edmonton, uh, Bo was one of the better possession drivers. Uh, he only played seven minutes versus Columbus, and I believe the game before he he didn't he didn't have a good game, so he's not without criticism. But you know. There are other guys that deserve this criticism. And we talked a lot about Patrick Hornquist, and Bo Bennett has got 1.01 points per 60 this year. That's fourth-line garbage. Patrick Hornquist is .88, and Perron is .87, and they get spoon-fed Crosby, Malkin minutes the entire season. So... (laughs) What's fair is fair. You have to have the same standard for all players if you want to do this yeah. successfully, and they don't. I don't know 18 sport that ever has had a level playing field on that aspect, though. And I think hockey is one of the worst in regards to, quote-unquote, earning your time or earning your extra length of rope for, for screwing up. It's one of the things that I've never really understood with a hockey culture, I suppose. If you're good enough, play. It doesn't matter whether you're 20 or whether you're 45. If you're good enough, play. So, any reservations about my line? 
Oh, God, Jumble. no. No, I, it's – we're at the quarter pole now. Pittsburgh are in a situation where um, walking away from the back-to-back this weekend against two teams that they should have beaten and only coming away with two points – isn't good enough considering that they didn't do anything in the lineup that would warrant them to lose. Like if they'd lost both of those games, if they'd have walked away with two points and the lines had been a jumbled mess and they tried a few different things and all that sort of stuff, then you go, okay, they walked away with two points. It's a positive because they've tried to check a few things out in a game situation, but they did none of that today to the point where in overtime they had Rob Scuderi out there defending the four-on-three in an environment where leg speed is of the most utmost premium asset in overtime, and he just can't get to pucks. So they keep falling back on tried-and-true failed ideas. And his yeah. possessions were good, were they, today? Yeah. I mean, process was better, but result not very good. I mean, they, they still can't score goals for, for the life of them. And not very good when you're supposedly a team with four scoring lines, which I do think their forward depth is better. That's that's not really debatable. No. But I, and the defense, defense sucks. So how are they going to solve that problem? You've got Marta coming back in a couple of weeks. Are they just going to wait for him to come back and then – work out what they do with their seven defensemen or what? Like, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do because everyone, but these guys want Scuderi out of the lineup, but these guys don't want to take him out of the lineup. Well, before I criticize Mr. Scuderi a lot, (laughs) (laughs) he had 80% possession against the Oilers tonight. That's really good. That's pretty awesome. So, well done tonight, but you, you're still, still a drag on the team. You can um, say it. Still suck. I'm looking at a Pittsburgh Penguins team that's ranked 25th in goals per game, 2.22. How is that? that? Same I mean, that's, that's not good. It's not good at all. It's actually kind of embarrassing. It's difficult to win games if you don't put pucks in the net because you look at that Columbus game. Fleury was great. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Actually, speaking of which, do you actually think that was goaltender interference on that on the goal that he gave up? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's one of those things where I, I couldn't really make my mind up on it. It's it's quite obvious that he lost his push to get across to it, but was it really? Enough of a whack for the why, whack to do. Why is he being whack though? That's because it's the way the game's played. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know. I know. But that comes down. That's a, that's a whole different argument. But back back to D. The D is a real problem for Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. That Lovejoy Dumoulin pairing that everybody's talking right. about. Like they've they've done okay. But I don't think there's some inseparable, amazing duo where you intentionally leave Chris Letang with Rob Scuderi. They tried that nonsense the first year they signed Scuderi back. Different coaches as, as a safety blanket. It's, no, he's not. Um, he's a wet blanket. Yeah, and 
So now you have Latang just, and you before the podcast said what? He doesn't want to pass it to Scuderi. You watch him. He wheels around the net. He he's Latang is turning the puck over at the moment more than I would like, but it's because he is trying to do too much on the ice, particularly when it's a semi-pressured breakout, because he will. And it helps that he can actually do it, but he's going to screw up doing it. Is he will wheel around the net with someone on his tail, and Scuderi just drifts over to the corner, basically to get out of the way, and then he doesn't want to. He Latang knows that if he gets past the guy and gets enough clear space, one he's off to the races, and two it suddenly becomes four on four as opposed to five on four because Scuderi's sitting in the corner, like he just does not want to use him for anything apart from a, a bailout. And thankfully, Latang's got enough confidence in his own ability that he believes in himself to be able to do it. But you can see that that's where he's going wrong a lot of the time, is he will not pass it over to Scuderi at all for an exit. And you've brought this up before when it comes to cycling the puck down low for that scissor play, when you, you try to come high. Um, Scuderi will not go low for this scissor at all. And in fact, he pulls out of the zone and won't keep the puck trapped in the zone because he doesn't have the leg speed if he screws up. You can't make the cover. So he takes the safe play, and that's when Pittsburgh lose a lot of their uh, a lot of their ability to improve their possession numbers, which have been poor. And that's just one that's one player screwing the entire lineup. So we had um, well, I had my forward suggestions. And for now, without Alimata, I have some defense suggestions. Come on, let's do it. Uh, that Lovejoy-Dumoulin pairing, that seems to be locked in stone. Yep, that's that's not happening anymore. I am pulling up <laughs> Brian Dumoulin, who, who has really kind of had a, a, not out of, a, yeah, out of nowhere. I don't think anybody really thought he'd be this. We all thought he'd be a bottom pairing defenseman with the projection to get into the top four maybe next year. But for me, he's proved that he's a top four level defenseman. Whereabouts in that top four, I don't know. Four. But yeah, he's good. Four. But they don't have that luxury of having Paul Martin fill one of those slots. Mata's no. out. Erhoff's gone. Um, put him up with a little tang. You want a quote-unquote safety blanket? Well, put the guy that's actually playing well with Latang, who's going to play 25 minutes a night, whether he's playing well or not. They're just not going to, you know, they're going to play Latang. Regardless of how he's playing. It is one of those things where if Latang is going to play, like you said, the 25 to, to 28 minutes a night that he does, you would probably want to get the most out of that player because he's on the ice more than anyone else. So why the hell would you not put him in a situation to play his best? And playing him with Scuderi is not a, is not a safety blanket. He is an anchor. You can see it out there. So that's, I, I guess that's your top pairing, <laughs> but try it. See if Latang can kind of do better. Cause the Scuderi, it, I can't do it. This version, of, this version of Latang is not going to help the Penguins win. Simple. 
he's got to play better. It's not just partners. He's not playing well no. himself. But, I, I mean, do what you can to get him going. He's one of these pieces where you really have to make it work somehow. Yep. And I do think he's a really great player. He's just not playing that way this year. Last year he was amazing. Yep. And uh, look, early in the year, all of these players can turn it around. Well, Latang's sample size is incredibly large, and it's mostly all positive. So why would I assume yeah. that? Like, he sucks now. I don't think he sucks. I think he's playing bad. And Rob Scuderi's not going to help that. For whatever reason, it was really strange. Uh, him and Cole just didn't didn't gel. That I don't think anyone no, that was could have predicted that being so that, bad. That was a mess. I I agree with that. So but, uh, that might be what that might be what scares the coaching staff from separating Lovejoy and Dumoulin is that they don't want to create another. You know what I mean? Like. Well, geez, you know, you could go back to it eventually if that's what had to be done. Yes, that's exactly right. That was where I was slowly getting to. Exactly. Just go back to it. If you feel like you need to have something you can rely on and trust, go back to it at some stage. But don't shut the whole idea down altogether. So, Glendening and Cole, stick them together. Leave them together. Although they were terrible against the Oilers, uh, most of their sample so far has been positive. And... Just roll with Skidari Lovejoy. Fuck it. Just <laughs> give him <laughs> 10 to 15 minutes a night and live dangerously. You don't really have a choice. That's sort of where so it has to be. Alimata eventually comes back. Right? In about uh-huh. two and a half weeks. I think. Yep. Put him back with Latang. Right? I would, and I think we all know who we'd like to have change. Clendon and Cole. You get your fancy Lovejoy Dumoulin pair back, and sorry, Rob. Adios. Bye-bye, amigo. That won't happen, but that's where I see it. I'd also call Pouliot up eventually and take Lovejoy's spot, but that's just me. They're really gun-shy with Pouliot now. Whatever. I mean, they don't like how he works or whatever. He's still a better option than some of the current stuff they're putting out there, in my opinion. Yeah, he's not great defensively, and he needs to work more on his defense. Well, I'm watching these guys not do so many great things out there right now and they don't possess the ability to pass the puck or create offense like him. So How does this coaching staff front up to the media and say, yeah, we're looking at our defensive game, we're trying to be better defensively, and they give up 43 shots to a Columbus team with that roster? Yeah, they're not doing a good job there. They're still one of the... So the fact that their goals against is down has got nothing to do with the defensive structure. It's being awesome this year. Yeah. And I'd love him to stay that way, but they're still not going to win a cup if he stays awesome and they keep playing like this. And it's no fun to watch, so I want him to go back the other way. If they're not going to win a cup, at least make it enjoyable to watch. There's always trades, and I do think they'll eventually trade for a defenseman. But I do worry about this GM getting in a desperation spot. Some of his better moves, (laughs) trades... 
weren't like from a spot of yeah. desperation. I know where you headed there. Like Kessel off season, the Leafs were the desperate ones looking to unload, change their culture, whatever reasons they wanted to to give for that. And like trade deadline, when you're princed, you got to make a move. You get the the prey Lovejoy. Idiocy. Um, Perron was earlier in the year. I still. That's not a great trade, but I don't think it's a bad trade. I look. I think you and I both agreed at the time. I thought it was a good trade. I still think it's a good trade. I think he does a lot of things that work well for this team. I just think he's snake bit. I just don't think he's getting the rub of the green, and it, it happens to players over a season, and it happens to teams over a season. It's going to affect him in the hip pocket because, you know, he's coming up for his next deal, and I don't think he's going to have a lot of takers out there for probably what he wants to get. Sutter trade was obviously great, but that wasn't like a, you know, that was off season. Not, team's not underperforming. It's move needs to be made. And that's so not how, just a Jim Rutherford thing. I think a lot of guys no, find themselves in spots yeah. where they're like, geez, we got to do something. And then, boom, that something may not always be great. So what would be, for you in the back of your head, what would be sort of a, an appropriate time frame to not get yourself wedged? I think they I, – and I do think he is now, looking now. Yep. So if you can pull one, he'll pull it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I think, and I don't. I wouldn't blame this line of thought. They haven't really had a chance to see the whole defense thing healthy for a lot of it. Mata's been no, no, uh, garbage, and then when they finally put him back with Latang, he got driven into the open door. Yeah, and he looked he looked better. When he did, but they do need to see games so they can go, this is what we've got. And they've not had that opportunity. You are right. They really haven't. Yeah, but they, they lose to Columbus and then Edmonton. Now, mind you, they get the loser point both nights, so it's like winning one game. But they're in a very tough division. For Our favorite team we love to bash, New Jersey's hanging in there. Uh, so credit to them. They're, they're right there. Yep can't really uh, say too many bad things. Pittsburgh's got 28 points. New Jersey's got 26. So, you know. I don't know. I just, I don't know what to, I don't know what to expect out of this team. Like, I try to look at it analytically as, as opposed to emotionally, and I know that team's not good enough to win the cup as is constructed unless players, unless all players play to their maximum level that they possibly can. And one thing I've sort of learnt over the last three or four years with the analytics is that trends tend to run for a whole season. You know, teams will get good puck luck for a whole year and, and teams will get bad puck luck for a whole year. And yeah, just look at the Flames. Yeah, there are a few Pittsburgh players this year that just don't seem to be having a great shooting percentage this year. Whilst Fleury's 
save percentages up, sort of balancing that out a little bit for that whole PDO thing. So it'll be interesting to see where where they stack up. I mean, Pittsburgh wouldn't be like this in the back end if Pouliot had come into camp and performed the way they expected, and he didn't, and it really threw their plans out. That's interesting way to put it, though. They're judging him on what they expected out of him. Correct. Yep. But that doesn't necessarily mean him coming short of his expectations still isn't better than other alternatives that are on the roster. Yeah. Like, I think they really thought he'd come in and just blow him all away. Like, he, for me with Pouliot, from everything I can garner, he seems like a terribly gifted athlete who's not had to work hard to get anywhere in his athletic career. And this is the first time in his life where he has to start putting an extra effort outside of just what he has to do with the team. He didn't do that over the summer, and the coaching staff weren't happy with that. And I think that's where all this sort of comes from, is he failed their expectation level. That doesn't mean that what he provides on the ice is worse than Scuderi, than Lovejoy. But I do get, hey, guy, let's go here. Start him down. Um, he seems to be playing all right so far this year down there. At yeah. a certain point, it's like, all right, we sent this message, but we're really kind of not getting anything from these other guys. And it, it is professional sports, and we are judged by wins here. So maybe, you know, got to use that other player that we wanted to send a message to. Because here's the deal. 16 games, he's got 14 points in the AHL. Point a game, yeah. defenseman, or sorry, close to point a game as a defenseman that's really good and I do have some data from an article I wrote in the summer um, oh the how many points you have to have if you're an AHL defenseman or a forward to have it correlate across to the uh, NHL isn't it yes so yeah. let me find it what was that what I do know is that the numbers you just gave then, he covers them. How old is Pouliot right now? So Pouliot's 21 years old. And the article from Josh Weisbach, or he was the tweet that I used for the article. Past 22 years old, AHL defensemen need to score around 0.7 points per game or higher. Otherwise, their odds of a long NHL career diminish. Well, he's 21, and he's at, like, a point a game. So that's pretty good. It's handy. It's handy. D success is probably likely at point five points per game. He's well above that. So he's showing he's playing well down there. I mean, eventually you got to make that call up. Yeah. Yeah, but as I don't know, it, it's it's that whole not understanding what old man Rutherford is trying to achieve, and it was always the sort of fear I had when he came in to be general manager. I didn't really trust what he would do with the team, and there have been times where I've got there and I've said I think he's been fantastic. 
then there are other times where I sit there and scratch my head. And it comes down to, to me, I think, where the stuff that I think he's done fantastically, it, it seems pretty obvious that he's gone down an analytical route in regards to the thought process. Then there have been other times where he's just done something on a gut feel that if you're the general manager, hey, it's your prerogative to do so. And it, To me, it's almost like the gut feel stuff has gone wrong because his feel for the game now is not the same as what the game was 15 years ago. And he's not the only GM in that boat, by the way. There are quite a few general managers that are old school who haven't changed their line of thinking, and same thing's happening to those teams. But there's there's a mid-season option that could be like a have the effect of a trade, calling a guy up from the AHL that is NHL caliber and is an upgrade. Yeah. But there's internal options. There are internal options. There are external options as well, and it's it's not always easy to be on the outside and, and guess who those options are. I try to piece together logic at times to try and figure that kind of stuff out, but um, it's not easy. No. Um, there's a defenseman I'm kind of keeping my eye on in Ottawa uh, Patrick Rierkoch. Uh he's coming back from injury but I think they still had him as a healthy scratch if I read correctly today uh, he's an underrated guy maybe Ottawa doesn't know what they have with him his underlying numbers are really good played for Canada in the world championships this past spring seemed to look good there so maybe he's a top four caliber defenseman that maybe isn't viewed as one and won't cost an arm and a leg. Well, isn't isn't Yost an Ottawa fan? Surely he should be tapping on their door and saying, do not do that. Listen, I'm not so sure the owner gives a shit. I know. <laughs> I know. If you recall. I know. I just couldn't help but poke fun at poor old Trav. It would be very frustrating to have a franchise that you enjoy watching sort of snub the quality work that he does, if you get what I mean, and sort of show no value in it. It, it would be very annoying because he's very good at what he does. Uh, Weirkoch, $2 million salary, will be an RFA. Uh, I'm going to try and pull up some of his exact underlying numbers. I think they're all top four, though, possession, offense, that kind of stuff. If... I'm correct. So if you if you want to get there and and we look through this uh, trade possibility, yeah, he's um, top pairing possession, um, not great offensively, kind of bottom pairing for that. But Penguins need players that can drive possession, get it to the forwards, so that they can do the work, and he would fit that bill. So how do you get him? Yeah, that's always the tough part. I don't know how some of these GMs think. That's the the problem, isn't it? It's how do you acquire him? Yeah, you want him. But how do you go about actually doing that? That's the the hard part because Brian Murray, what do you expect from him as a – I just don't know. Uh, 
points. What a one for one? I guess. I, like I said, it's so tough. Because <laughs> I, I, I get there and I say that because you know that Melnick's got them on their own internal cap. So it's a one point eight difference. That's a lot for Melnick. That's the problem you've got. Like I'm all for the I'm all for the thought process and the the idea, but it's what's their internal cap? How much like if we were going to do a trade like that, I'd like to give up Skidari and ha- and retain salary. Well, if you're going to have to retain salary on Kunitz, I'd rather keep Kunitz and retain salary on Skidari. And I don't think there's any hope in hell that any of the other 29 teams in the league are going to take him on. I think they all know Pittsburgh want to get rid of him, and it's the whole addition by subtraction for the rest of the league, knowing don't take that trade on. I honestly, usually I, I'm a little more clever <laughs> figuring out the deal. I just threw out his name without doing much research. No, no, no. But you, you get what I'm saying, though? It's 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 why it's so hard to get players to move around at the moment. The cap has got cost control, but teams still haven't worked out how to give themselves room if things don't work properly. They'll work it out. But at the moment, it's it's not quite there. Yep. Um, I mean, as you get closer to the deadline, I have my... Not maybe... This isn't really Penguin-centric, but we've talked Brian Campbell before. I think he's an interesting name if Florida falls out of it. They need a lot to go right to sort of get back in it, though. That's the hard part for Florida there. No, very true. Dan Hamuse is an interesting name. Vancouver falls out of it. Pittsburgh yeah. obviously had interest in him. Um, but that was hey. Ray Shero. Something I've not actually really thought about is if Pittsburgh fall out of it, which could legitimately happen. All right. That's right. Let's, uh, let's go down this road. Uh, David well, Brown's an obvious one. Yeah, would that then make Kunitz more of a movable asset? Yeah, I think so. But because somebody's got to want him, he's not really. No, Listen, no, I, I know that. But here's my it's, unpopular who, who opinion. Wanted, who wanted Lovejoy last year? It's oh. this. It's this. It's the same thing. Like you get there and go, how does that trade even occur? And it did. So. It's not to say that it can't happen, but it's it's like we always look at this from the perspective of Pittsburgh trying to acquire spare parts from other teams because they're falling out of the race. That's such Pittsburgh, a great way of putting it, though. You <laughs> love Joy Dupre, and we're supposed to talk like we can predict what the hell's going to go on. You, you just no, you, yeah, you, and you get there and go, if Pittsburgh fall out of it and, you know, they're at the deadline in a situation where the season has just gone completely south, it might be the only way they actually get to clean out some of these bad contracts and give themselves some flexibility moving forward. Mm-hmm. You look at the Capitals. They had those couple of bad years. They lost their general manager. All of a sudden, that team looks fantastic again, and Ovi looks great because he's actually got competent parts around him in the whole team, and that team looks a hell of a lot. But they went through a couple of years of some severe pain of being bad and having no direction of what they actually want to be as a club. So, you know, whether or not 
Ovechkin wins a, a Stanley Cup with Washington is sort of irrelevant. He's gone from being an out-and-out superstar to being questioned about his commitment to the sport to being an out-and-out superstar again. And it's all because the team around him improved. Not just the team. Oates and Hatcher. So they tried to change who he was, right? Yeah. Who he is is really awesome. And they wanted him to be this perfect robot when he does these things that nobody else in the history of the game, or very few, can do. I don't think anybody's shot like him. No. I know that technology sticks, yeah, I get that, but nobody shoots like him. Nope. Nobody in his generation scores like him. Nope. And they tried to take away from that to to shore up some things that were never going to give that the team more than what he does on the other end. Yeah. And when Mike Johnston talks 200-foot hockey over and over and how he's willing to sacrifice some points from Crosby and Malkin to, to get that, I just think of a coach trying to change. And, and you said before, it's not like Crosby doesn't play 200 feet. He was, he's, he was really great at that stuff before. But now you just listen to it, and it's like, stop, stop, man. Just let him do his thing. Don't fix what's not broken. Look at the Dallas Stars, though. Oh, they're so great. I don't care if you they have win a cup or not. Tell me no, that's not the best I'm... ticket in town. I know, but you, you watch. Jason Spurs has never been known to being particularly great on the defensive side of the puck, right? Correct. Lindy Roth understands that. Let's just make sure we get as much out of him offensively as we can and hope that we end up on the plus side of that result. More times than not, you will. Correct, because he's that good. Like Spurs, I really like Spurs as a player. I like watching him play. He's um, amazing with... His, I've never seen a guy have that long uh, of a stick with it, with his arms extended and be able to just have the puck on a string. I don't know if people know what I'm talking about with that. But, like, when he's reaching at the length of his wingspan, he's still toe-dragging with that puck as if he's got, like, as if he's one of the shorter players that has a shorter stick that does all the, like a Patrick Kane wizardry. But he's doing it like at... Like Long this insane up, yeah. wingspan. I, I've always been totally, um, totally amazed at that part of his game. And he used to, used to, doesn't anymore, but used to use an all-wood stick for one of the last players to switch over. Yeah, but I'm looking at his stuff right now, and he does get a flack for not being great defensively. But his shot suppression is the third line level. His puck possession is the first line level, and all his offense is first line. So I mean, yeah, come on. That's 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 what I mean. Like if you, that's the one thing I'll give Lindy Ruff credit for. I don't think, I don't think he's the end of his tenure in Buffalo is particularly flattering to him as a coach. But what he's managed to do in in Dallas is the players that he's got. He's worked out what they're good at and what they're bad at, and he's put them in situations to be more often than not. He's not tried to change the players. They've done a really good job of actually acquiring pieces that fit into the holes that they need to be in. Uh, it's helped that they've, you know, got a defense that's vastly improved results-wise than what it was last year, but they've improved because they've gone, all right, so we're not going to be great in our own zone. We get that. 
let's just get the puck out of our zone as quickly as we can and have the puck down the other end. Yeah, we know we're going to get pushed around and we're going to get beaten a bit in our own end, but I will back our team to beat the other guys at the other end. So it's showing faith and having confidence in your in your from the top down, the general manager down to the coach, coach down to the players, having faith and trust in everything that you implement to go, all right, guys, we're going to back you. You do this, we'll win. And they have. It's been really good fun to watch. Yeah, I watch them a lot now. And their broadcast is the best. Yeah, I actually think I should do a, uh, a post, rank them 1 to 30. Actually, 1 to 33 it would be because you'd do the NBC guys, you'd do the Sportsnet guys and the TSN guys and see where they all rank out. But they'd have to be number one, I think. They're my number one. Yeah, I, yeah so I'd like Dave Strader to get out of... Um, Arizona, but um, no, he's Dallas. Oh, he is too. He is. That's right. That's why I fell in love with him. He was Arizona, and he was good there. No, he was. He was. Yeah, certainly was. Um, I've lost my train of thought now. It happens. Yeah, it does. Anything around the league you want to discuss after we just want shreds through the Penguins for the last hour? I've been really busy. I haven't watched as much as I want to. I've uh, all my NHL attention has been pretty much Pittsburgh related. Centric, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, Rangers are still an interesting team to me, like we talked about in the previous week. Their scoring chances for are really low, but they just shooting percentage really high and. Lundqvist, really good. They're interesting. Um, Tampa Bay, we'll, we'll won't get into a lot right now just because of time, but Tampa Bay I think is worthy of us digging deeper into. Their, their record's not very good. Uh, why is that? They, they were really awesome last year. Not a lot of their personnel has changed. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like they've really been a statistical anomaly either, in areas. So it is. It will be interesting to have a deeper look at those and see what's going on. Carolina is an interesting team in the sense of their possession stats are really good, but they don't score a lot of goals, and that could be because their forwards stink. If that makes sense. Yep. I know. I know it's. We talk a lot about possession, and their process seems to be okay, but Christopher Steaks, their leading scorer, I think. And that definitely shouldn't be the case. The Stahl brothers, Eric, you know, he's not what he was. Jordan is great defensively and just mediocre offensively. Jeff Skinner, whatever. (laughs) I mean, I, I don't mean whatever. He's shown flashes of being okay, but the rest of that forward lineup stinks. It's yeah. no wonder they don't score. But they have some trade stuff to get into with Eric Stahl and Cam Ward, if anybody's dumb enough. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, actually. Buffalo's always interesting to me. 
Buffalo is interesting to everybody. They're playing well this year. Their possession's really good. Dan Bilesma's doing a nice job. If they can get some better goaltending, I think, um, and stay healthy, I don't think they're out of totally out of a, a playoff discussion. Well, what's the? How far back can they fall before it be, the goal before it becomes a an issue and unrecoverable for this season? Though, you know what I mean. Like it was it was Ottawa last year that was what twenty five and four or something at the end of the year just to make it into that second wild card spot. They're five points back. Because I, what were Ottawa, Ottawa nine coming into the last month of the year and they they curled it back. So I suppose it can be done, but. I don't know. It's, it's got, just it's tough. It's to start happening now. They beat Nashville. Soonish. They could make improvements to the roster. Yeah. They certainly could. They've got the cap space to do it, too. I suppose that's the other thing, is that it's it's all there. It could all be done. Tyler Ennis has to play better for them, and they need to maybe find another guy to not so they don't have to play Brian Giotta huge minutes anymore. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're playing him uh, a little bit much. So those are things to look for. Although, uh, sorry, just remember, last um, Penguins-related thing. Yeah, uh And it's goaltender-related, but not any of the goaltenders we've talked about this evening. Uh, Corey Pronman had a stat about Matt Murray. Ah, there's his tweet. Penguins are going to have to make a decision on their 21-year-old goalie, Matt Murray. At some point, he has a 940 save percentage on over 1,300 AHL shots. And we've kind of talked about that before, but 940 is ridiculously awesome. And (laughs) that's not a small amount of shots. To where it's like, oh well, that's a fluke. At what point have they have, have the statistical geniuses geniuses worked out what a five thousand five thousand cool NHL shots? But yep. he doesn't have that obviously. But uh, I don't mean that as a this year thing with Flurry. Flurry's gonna be there this year. He should be there this year. He's playing great. Uh, but yes. Decision will have to be made. That's six million. If this Murray guy's legit, that's five and a half millions in savings. He should be the backup next year, and then the year after he should be the starter, and then and and they have to work out whether they have Fleury B's backup or whether they toss him aside and get something back cheaper. Quite frankly, all- I think he's the legit backup now. Yeah, but they I want agree. him to play. I think yep. later in the year, the prudent choice would be when it gets to crunch time and it's playoff time. I it, put it this way: if Fleury were to go out with an injury, I would play Matt Murray, not Zakoff. Yeah, uh, yep. It, it, it'd almost be a little bit like the Anaheim and Gibson scenario, really. Except I think Murray's better than Gibson. Yeah, same process though. Yep. Like, yeah. I just want to throw that in. Matt Murray kicking ass. Uh, you know, at times last year, like, well, is he really legit? Is he just doing a hamburger thing? Uh, no, he's carried it over into this year. Which is nice. So, 
I guess I guess that's it. Yes. I think, I think we're good. Yeah. All right. Get off your lazy butts. iTunes. Give us a rating. Only, <laughs> only takes a minute of your time. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, Gunnar Stahl, Walshy66 on Twitter, HockeyHurts.com. Uh, anything else? Uh, I think that's it. Hockey Buzz. I think you oh, yeah, that's where you are. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people have been finding me after the uh, Dubinsky uh, article. but <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know. Anyone that listens to the podcast knows our opinion, knows that it's not exactly like you're um, being one-eyed on it. No, I believe I called 30 games for James Neal when he cheap-shotted Marshawn, of all people, in the head. So Yeah, well, that, that's just ridiculous. All right. Well, until next time. Thanks, week. guys. See you.